Hi everyone, welcome to Emigrant's Life. I'm your host, Daniel DiBiase. And for the very first episode of this show, I asked a good friend of mine, Audrey, to share a story. She left her home country, Scotland, when she was only 19. She lived in the Middle East and Tahiti. She's now been living in Vancouver for the last 35 years, and she's been running her own marketing agency for the last 19. She's one of the most altruistic and generous people I know. She's involved in multiple charities. In 2018, she went to Malawi in Africa to help local people, actually local women, to teach them through business how they can provide for themselves and for their family. You can learn more about this project by visiting the website care.ca. It's spelled C-A-R-E dot C-A. And now, without further ado, please enjoy this episode with my good friend, Audrey. Hi, Audrey. Thanks for being here today and welcome to the show. Hi, Daniel. Yeah, nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. So you live in Vancouver. I know you for a couple of years now, but how long have you been living in Vancouver for? Uh, So let me see. I came here for the first time in 1982 and I left. I didn't stay. Um, And I came back in 1985. So 85, 95, like, is that 35 years? 35. Yeah, that's right. First time I came was 1982. And I stayed here, I think we were here probably around six or eight months. And we didn't like it very much. So um, I left. Why you didn't like it? So I'd been living in the Middle East and um, as an expat. So I'm originally from Scotland. I I was born in Scotland. Um, I grew okay. up in, mostly in England. Um, I didn't really like the UK very much, so I knew I wanted to leave. And uh, I got the opportunity when I was 19 to go live in the Middle East. So um, I jumped at the chance and I was there for almost five years. And um, it was pretty cool there. Like we didn't pay any taxes. We earned really good money. A company paid for our apartment, paid our telephone bills, you know, pretty much uh, took really good care of us, bought us a ticket to send us home every year. And um, so as an expat, it's a different lifestyle. Um, I got tired of expat life and decided that we were going to immigrate somewhere other than go back to the UK or Europe. Mm -hmm. And um, so coming to Canada was a bit of a shock because this is not expatriate community so uh, yeah it was really hard to settle um when you're in an expatriate community then you sort of make your own family really fast because your family's not there so you make friends and you you make really good friends pretty fast whereas here it was completely different everybody had their family around the corner so no one really was looking to make a friend so it was really hard to make friends here that was the hardest thing was to make friends still still not very easy to make friends in vancouver it's a, at least even for me that i come from a, like a small town it's it's a big city and it's 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 hard compared to other maybe it's, i don't know i never actually lived in a big city so i can't really compare but compared to other places that i lived before it's like a, yeah it's definitely more challenging um you were talking about expatriate what's a, just like a, I, I don't know what that means um, you mean like uh, people that emigrate? No. So um, essentially there are places in the world um, that are developing 
that require labor, um, you know, workforce from elsewhere, particularly um, expert um, professionals, um, that bring them in on contract. So I was still a resident of the United Kingdom, but I had a visa, a work visa to go work in the United Arab Emirates. Well, actually my, my husband did. So I just sort of okay. piggybacked on that. Um, and it was, the, it was a, for a limited period of time. Um, so I don't remember how long a contract was. It was probably five years, something like that, but it was renewable. Um, so you knew you weren't gonna live there forever. It was temporary. So, you know, expatriate okay. means okay. that, yeah, you're, you're, you're being repatriated back to your own country. You're just there for a, for a contract period. Okay. Is it any different from like a work permit, like, a, like me or people that move to a different country and manage to find a job and have a work permit for a couple of years? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, no, it's actually a little bit different um, because you came on spec. So you came to Canada, you decided you wanted to move to Canada and mm -hmm. you got a work permit and you came here and looked for work. For us, it was different. We got the job before we left the UK. So, oh, okay. um, so the company was sponsoring us to go work there for a, a year or two or five. Okay. So, you know, large, large companies um, knew that they needed to bring people from uh, the developed world there to help. Um, so they would have, you know, they might have hundreds of expatriates there. So when you're an expatriate, okay. normally you're under the protection, if you like, or the, the, uh, the company that's hiring you is taking care of you. So they're okay, providing perfect. you, they're providing you with accommodation. They're providing you with a ticket there and back. So it's just a little different because you came under your own steam. You just decided to take the risk, get a work permit yeah. and come. So it's not quite the same. Okay, thanks for explaining that a little bit better. Okay, and you were talking about your husband. You went there for because of your husband. What was your husband was doing at the time? I uh, say so he was a pastry chef, and he um, was recruited by a chef that he worked with in the UK, who had a contract to go work in, in the United Arab Emirates. And he um, gathered up his whole brigade, his whole kitchen brigade, because he knew that he needed the experience of um, European chefs rather than going to the Middle East. There, there's a very, very small small population in the United Arab Emirates and certainly not skilled workers. So there may have been some locals working in the kitchen, but probably not. Um, pretty much okay. everybody there was expatriate. So he took his senior chefs from the UK and then the junior, the commies and, and the junior um, staff came from either India, Sri Lanka, or Pakistan. Okay, cool. So you left the UK to move to the Middle East with your husband, and then you guys left the Middle East to move to Canada. Is that right? Uh, yes. So we'd been there for about five years, and I decided that you know expatriate life was fun, and we made a lot of money, but I didn't want to stay there forever. Um, it wasn't really home. I wasn't really building community. Um, the way I wanted to. So I applied mm -hmm. to leave there. Didn't want to go back to Europe. Definitely didn't want to live in France. Didn't want to live in the UK. Um, my husband was at the time was French. Um, so we applied for the US, Canada and Australia. And uh, Canada said yes. So we, we, we came to Canada. Okay, so you got 
to Canada with like a with what like a, some kind of like a residency or some like a like a yeah. permit to become yeah. a resident. That's right. With our landed immigrant status, so we had six months okay. to come, and we landed, and then we were no longer expatriates because we were just like living in Canada, trying to find a job, trying to find somewhere to live. Um, I was expecting my second baby, so we needed to figure that out pretty quickly. Um, yeah, and um, I was lucky because we had uh, my mom's brother lived in um, near Vancouver, so he we were we had somewhere to go and we had somewhere to stay to start off with. Oh wow, that must have been like a huge help. Yeah, no, he was that was that was fabulous just to have family here that could show us the ropes. I mean. You might think that, you know, Canada and the UK are similar, but yeah, there's lots of differences. So there's lots of things to learn in those first couple of months. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Plus having like a, some family member near, like makes me feel like, makes the place feel like a more like home, right? Yeah, yeah. You're not like sure. all of you yeah. by yourself. It's, yeah, it's definitely, yeah. definitely helps. Uh, another question, but like going back to the your life in the Middle East, how was like the Emirates back then? Because I, I, I oh. guess... That they changed so much, especially in the last few years. Mm. What was yeah, the lifestyle back then, especially like a yeah. from like a so, woman's perspective? Because we know um, in those countries can be a little bit challenging for women. Did you find that a problem? What was the situ- what was the um, situation? Well, I'd love to go back um, and see it now. So to answer the first question, it was like a big construction yard. It was really like living in a construction yard because, you know, back in the um, in the late seventies. Um, really where we were living, Sharjah, Dubai, Abu Dhabi was, was just in the very early of developing stages. So there were cranes everywhere. There was construction everywhere. The hotel we were working in was brand new, literally wasn't even finished when we arrived. We were there for the opening. Um, as far as being a woman, um, Uh, Being a Caucasian woman was probably a lot better than being from any other part of the world um, just because we got a little bit more respect, but it was definitely a male-dominated society there. And we were, you know, rather second-class citizens unless you were white. Um, So I witnessed some situations that I definitely was not comfortable with um, where um, other women were treated quite poorly by um, by men, um, and that wasn't good for me. Um, being young, um, I worked for a company. Started off working for a civil engineering company. If you lived in in uh, Sharjah at that time, um, then you needed to have a work permit. Sorry, you needed to have a, a liquor license, and you needed to have a driving license. And uh, you had to go to the municipality, the equivalent of the municipality to get that. Mm -hmm. So I was designated the one to go because many other companies would send um, some of their their junior staff members who would have were normally from India or Pakistan or Sri Lanka. And they were usually males and they had to stand in the line. But if you are a white woman, uh, you got to go to the front of the line. So as soon as you oh, sort really? of okay. passed there, then you just floated to the front of the line and you got your rubber stamps and so on and so forth. And away you go, you went and you got done what you wanted to do. So that was kind of handy. That came in handy. But as far as, um, you know, dress and, you know, being alone, 
I didn't feel afraid. I always made sure that, you know, my shoulders and were, were covered and that I was wearing a dress that wasn't short, you know, down to my knees when I wandered around the marketplace. Um, mm -hmm. We did go to the beach and we did, you know, get into bikinis and swimsuits. Um, but we were careful to make sure that we didn't, um, that we went, we went somewhere that was a little bit isolated and, and safe and didn't flaunt in front of um, the community. So, in okay. fact, I think at the time we were members of a club and we would go there because it was sort of, you know, a little bit private. So you definitely had to be careful. Okay. Well, that, that's, that's interesting. So you stayed in the Middle East for about five years and then you moved to Vancouver. Um, how long did you guys stay before uh, you decided to leave again? Yeah. We were here um, probably about six, six to eight months and then we didn't like it. And uh, so my husband got a contract with the same hotel chain that he was working with in um, the Middle East. Okay. Um, and it was an opportunity to go live on the island of Tahiti in French Polynesia. And um, I remember us getting this offer and kind of going, how could we say no? Yeah. Like, why would we stay here when we've got the chance to go <laughs> live in Tahiti? It just sounded sort of idyllic. So um, he went before me and, and then off I went. By then I had my second child. And um, off I went to Tahiti, and uh, yeah, it was really cool. It was a really neat experience. We had, a, I used to call it our Snoopy Dog Hut, was our, our home. <laughs> um, it had a corrugated iron roof, so when it rained, it sounded, it was really noisy. And uh, it was pretty much, you know, it was really hard to keep the insects out. It was, in fact, it was impossible. Um, and the cockroaches and the mice. We were on a septic tank. And, but we were surrounded by this beautiful garden. We were two minutes from the beach. The beach was gorgeous. The garden had the most spectacular flowers. We grew grapefruits and bananas in the garden. And <laughs> yeah, it was just, um, it was a really cool experience. And the hotel was gorgeous and the weather was fabulous. And Yeah, sounds horrible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, was, it, was, it, was, it was pretty cool. And the only thing with um, Tahiti is it's a very small island and you can drive around it in half a day. And um, again, we were expats. We were considered expats because we were on contract mm -hmm. and the company was taking care of us, um, provided us with accommodation and tickets home, et cetera. Um, and we made friends really quickly there, again, uh, similar to the Middle East, because there were lots of other expats from Europe that were, you know, just didn't have their family close. So, you know, we formed really close knit bonds with a, a really neat group of people quite quickly. Um, but it was okay. somewhat limiting for me because um, at that time there was no um, reciprocal agreement. There was no EU back then that said that I could work there. So I didn't, I couldn't go to work. Um, okay. So I was kind of staying at home with the kids and I'd always wanted to have a career. So it wasn't really forever. It was small, it was, you were limited, and it was sort of kind of like being on a vacation for me. Which wasn't too bad, right? Because you yeah. just had your shake on child. Um, so being like in Tahiti and not be able to work, I mean, like a, this kind of like vacation, um, give you like a more time to actually um, take care of your two children, right? Yeah, I mean, you're right. For the first couple of months, it was kind of nice, but then I started to get a bit antsy because I, yeah, I wanted, I wanted to have a career. Um, so okay. we decided to, we decided that we hadn't really given Canada a chance that 
and you know, we had heard sort of on the circuit that if you really wanted to make it home, you needed to give it at least two years, even if it was difficult, you had to stick it out two years. And we really had only stayed, I think it was probably eight months. I was probably in Canada eight months. I didn't really give it a chance. I didn't really get a chance to make any friends. Um, so we decided that we would return. So we did. Okay. So that was in yeah, 80, 85. Yeah, I agree with you with the fact that, yeah, you, you at least you need to spend like at least a year or two before you actually start yeah. liking the place and actually making a decision if you want to stay or not. Yeah, I agree, yeah. I agree with you. So you stay in Tahiti for the, like a three years or something like that? Uh, two years. Yeah. Two years. Two it's years okay. Like, okay. And then back to, um, then back to Canada. Yeah, back to Canada, back to the same house. So we had, we had bought a house and we had rented it out. So um, we moved back into the same house and um, yeah, I got a job. So I sort of started my career then. I felt finally like, you know, this was good. And um, the other thing that really was key was that my husband got a, a job. He was a pastry chef and he got a job, a good job at the Hyatt, which is like a big, you know, four-star um, hotel. So, okay. you know, he felt like it felt, it felt a lot better than it had the first time because it was hard for him to find work the first time. And I couldn't work because I was pregnant, but this time we just, we settled in fairly quickly and we knew the ropes. It was easier coming back because, you know, we'd already learned a lot of the stuff yet, you know, about Canada and how it was different. So it was way easier to settle in the second time. And I was determined that we were going to give it a run and we did. I'm still here. Yeah. I'm glad you, I'm glad you did. But even there, like, how how easy was it to? Because you went to Canada the first time on like on this like a permit to become a resident, and then you left for two years. Could, could you just come back to Canada with the first permit you got, or you actually needed to apply for a second one? How did that work? Yeah. So um, back then, the rules were that you could leave for a certain period of time and not lose your landed immigrant status. And we got back just under the wire. So we just sailed back in. And the other thing was um, we had to prove that we hadn't abandoned Canada. So we kept our home here and a bank account. Okay. And we still filed our Canadian taxes. So really it was almost as if Canada didn't, didn't even notice we'd left. You know, we, there was nothing. Oh, okay. Yeah, we just, so we, so we got back in. I mean, had we waited another few years, we might have had to have reapplied, but, but we didn't. Okay. No, because I might be wrong here, but um, I think right now, if you go like a, apply for a residency, if you get a permanent residency in Canada, you need to stay in the country for like six months a year for not losing the, your residency. Uh, but even then, I might be wrong. Things change so quickly and... I can't keep up with everything. So, yeah, no, it cha- I'm sure it was different back then. Um, and when we came back in, then we really hunkered down and did the three year, um, stayed for our full three years to make sure we got our permanent residency. Like we became Canadian citizens as quickly okay. as we could, because that would give us freedom to leave and come and go as we pleased. Whereas as landed immigrants, we were more limited. Have you ever thought about, because you since then you never left Canada and I guess you're happy to stay, to, to live here in Vancouver. But have you ever thought about like, a, what if instead of like a, getting the opportunity to go to Canada, you had the opportunity to go to Australia, how 
would they all be right yeah Have you ever oh, thought yeah. about something like that oh yeah i think about that often like you know it was just chance that canada said yes to us and it could easily have been the us or australia so I don't really have any regrets. I'm actually just grateful that it was Canada. I, I love it here. US and Australia, did they give back to you or did they just deny it or did they just get back to you too late? You know, I don't really remember, Daniel. I don't okay. remember. I think they probably got back. I know the rules in Australia at the time, so this is a long time ago, was the rule was that you had to find a job and get a job offer and then within Australia, the company that had offered the job had to prove they couldn't find someone there to, to fill the job. So you had to have a pretty okay. unique skill set. Like you had to be like, you know, a rock star or a scientist or like something really unique. Like, but you know, that doesn't you know. change that much. Even even right now, even for like a, to to apply for a work permit, you need to. The company that sponsors you need to prove that is hiring you immigrant because there's not any other local that can do your job, which means that you need to have like a, I don't know, more experience or like a more qualification or something like that. So it's, that's fairly normal for like a, to get a work permit. At least that was for me in New Zealand. That was the same things here for me in, in Canada. Yeah. Um... I think it's a pretty challenging though when you're young because you're more likely to be accepted into a country um, when you're under 35. And when you're under mm -hmm. 35, you don't necessarily have a unique skill set because you're still learning. You're still early in your, um, in your career. So um, I, I do know of one couple from Ireland that did get into Australia um, and he was a chef. Um, but it, I think it was pretty tough. I think it, it was really hard. And it wasn't just proving that there was no one else to do the job. They had to advertise the job, I think, for six months or a year at the time. And maybe oh, okay. it's still the same. I don't know. But your specific job. So they would hire you conditionally, and then they would advertise it. And then they had to go back and prove that none of the applicants were as good as you. So it, it was quite stringent. Um, and I think the U.S. was just saying no. I think we just got a rejection letter from them. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah, no, you, you're probably right. I probably I take it for granted that I managed to get a visa in, when I was in, in, uh, in New Zealand, when I went to New Zealand and now to Canada. And probably I take it for granted that I started working after high school, straight out from high school, uh, as a telecommunication technician in one of the biggest, probably the biggest company in, in Italy for telecommunication. Yeah. And I gained like a seven to nine years in telecommunication in Italy before I left. So as an immigrant, it was actually a good skill to have, which yeah. is like a, so I was coming from Italy with like a nine years of experience in telecommunication, which is like a, it's not an easy field to get in. And so I probably even like, as I said, like a, I probably took that as a, for granted. Uh, but it's, yeah, I think it's more challenging, as you say, like if you are 30 years old, you like uh, you work as a bartender, for example. You yeah. do like a small jobs here and there. It's it's definitely yeah, it's definitely harder to to get a sponsorship because you don't have the years of experience that you were talking about. Yeah, thanks. That's a good, was a good reminder. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Okay, going back to when you were in Tahiti, you said you wanted to leave because you couldn't work, and because you wanted to have a career. Um, when you went back to Canada, did you manage to find a job? and start a career. Do you want to talk more about that? 
Yeah. Um, when I came back to Canada, um, I felt like I had lost time. I had graduated in business studies in the UK and then gone to the Middle East. It was pretty hard to pursue a career in the Middle East because women were really um, mostly you know, would would fill administrative um, uh, roles. So I had a, an admin role there in the Middle East, and then I went to Tahiti and couldn't work. Um, so you know, from my perspective, by the time I got here, I was I think about twenty seven, and I'd been you know, wasting time because I hadn't started my career, it felt. And then when I did get a job, it was a pretty administrative type role. So that was kind of disappointing. So, you know, here I am feeling like I'd lost a lot of time. But I was lucky I went to work for a small startup in a, a, a high-tech company. It was a startup. There were just nine of us. And um, I was able to um, get promotions as the company grew um, so I was there with that company for 17 years. I feel like it wasn't boring at all. I just did so many, I played so many roles in the company and, um, we went from, you know, 2 million Canadian a year to 160 us, um, 160 million us per year. Mm -hmm. We were acquired by another company. I, um, before, um, before I left, I was director of global communications, um, marketing communications. So, you know, I really, I felt like I could get ahead here and I don't know that I could have gotten ahead in the same way had I stayed in Scotland. It, things just felt a lot more limiting there. And there's a lot more, um, there's a lot more opportunity for people here. There isn't the same uh, class structure that there is in the UK that can really hold people back. Um, and then at the end of that um, stint with that company, they decided to move, had moved the office down to the U.S. and I didn't want to live in the U.S. So I started my own company um, and I'm still running my, that same company today. So that's been uh, 19 years um, of being um, owner operator of a marketing consulting company. So yeah, Canada has been really good to me from that perspective. I feel like there's a lot of opportunity here and there's a lot of help um an encouragement for people to get ahead oh that's cool so you after 17 years to work for like a this startup company you you decide not to go to the us and decide to i'm gonna go my own way i'm gonna start my own agency like a marketing agency right yeah yeah um I, it, you know, Vancouver, you say Vancouver is a big city, but it's, in my perspective, I don't think it's a big city. I think it's a small town mm -hmm. and there aren't a lot of headquarters here. And, you know, there aren't a lot of positions um, that are global in, in, in Vancouver. There's a lot of companies that are, you know, citywide or provincewide or national or maybe North American. Um, but to actually have the opportunity to um, have a global position is kind of rare because there aren't many headquarters here. You really need to go to Calgary or Toronto for that. Um, so I figured though that there were a lot of other small startups that wanted to become global or wanted to, you know, conquer North America because of course our biggest market market is in, in the U.S. Um, so I thought, well, maybe I could, you know, take what I'd learned for in the 17 years I worked for the the technology company and help other technology companies in Vancouver. And, and that's, that's what I did, except I've worked with 
um, technology companies and malls and you know lots of different types of companies I didn't stick to only technology and um, yeah it's it's been fun I've really enjoyed it yeah definitely definitely but I don't know Vancouver for me feels like a really like a huge city and <laughs> I don't know uh, we have like a different perspective even I see a lot of like a lot of like a, I mean as I said, my background is like a, it's a small town in northern Italy and then New Zealand, which is like a remote island in the middle of mm. nowhere. Um, so coming here for me, like I can see like, a, I don't know, there's an office in, in downtown for like a Microsoft got his, uh, his office in downtown. Many other like a ten big tech companies got like a, their office in downtown. So for me, like a, this is like a huge hub for like technology. And I definitely see Vancouver as a huge city and you don't probably with, with time. I will see Vancouver the same way. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you traveled, so you went, you left the UK, you moved to the Middle East, then Canada, then Tahiti, and then back to Canada. So now it's, you've been in Canada for a while now. What did make you stay in Canada? Why did you try something else? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, I've, I've often thought about leaving Canada. I even thought about going back to the UK. I got a, a very, um, good job offer um probably around 10 years ago um i really didn't want to go back to the uk i and i i thought about um going somewhere warmer or somewhere better i mean i think that we're just programmed to think that the grass is greener on the other side but a few things have kept me here and continued to keep me here um one is that i had traveled enough to recognize there really isn't there's no utopia, right? I didn't like the UK, went to the Middle East. I didn't really, you know, want to stay in the Middle East forever. I came here, went to Tahiti. I definitely didn't want to live in Tahiti forever. Um, so I, I realized that it's what you make of it. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, also, I was challenged here. I had a career. I had a family that were in school. It becomes a little bit more difficult to just pack up and move when you've got three yeah, kids in yeah. school and especially when they get into high school which is you know one of the reasons I said no to moving to the U.S. is because my youngest daughter was in high school and I thought it would really be disruptive for her um, so and, and now of course the kids are grown up and if I leave then I'll be leaving them because they're not coming with me they've got their own lives here in Vancouver so you know that's kind of partially it but I think really the biggest part was recognizing there is no utopia. It's pretty darn good here. Um, I've made some really good friends and the weather's not too bad. I mean, it's pretty dreary and dark in the winter, but you know, yeah. suck it up buttercup. Like it's not the end of the <laughs> yeah. world. Summer is pretty nice. The, you know, until COVID-19, you know, the, you know, the economy's been good and Vancouver's been good to me. I've, you know, made a good living. I, you know, I like, I like the work that I do. Um, I'm established here. I think about, you know, moving sometimes somewhere else and having to start from scratch and it just, it just makes me feel tired. So yeah, I'm pretty happy to be here. And when this COVID-19, um, when and if it's over, you know, just to retire here and, you know, travel and see more of the world that way. Yeah, no, that's true. And I think it's even because uh, when you like move from country to country and you start feeling like a need to have like a, some, a place that you can call home, at least that was for me. Mm -hmm. Because 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you actually you settle down, you got your sequel friends, you got your job, you, you start your career, whatever, you feel like you're, you're home. While you keep traveling, yeah, it's pretty cool. You meet cool, different people, you live like in exotic places, but you're missing, you're missing home. You're missing a place that you can call home. While you, it, it takes time before you can yeah. actually call a place really home. And that's more like a, yeah. it's, it's, I think for, in, my, in my opinion, maybe your, your perspective is different. Like a home is really like about people around you. It's not just like a place. It's not like a, a building. It's not like a, a cool town with good weather. It's actually the people around you that makes you feel home. And it's interesting that, you know, what you're reminding me by saying that is that for me, I always call Scotland home. Like even although I've lived more of my life here, I say I'm going home. And when I say I'm going home in that context, it means I'm getting on a plane and I'm traveling to Scotland. I'm traveling back to what was my original home. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is definitely where I live and this is where I intend to stay. Um, So, and, and, and the other thing that crossed my mind there is, you know, that's where that term came from home, sweet home. Like it's great mm-hmm. to travel, but there's nowhere like home, like coming back to, to your own place and your own people. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I heard once that, um, you know, as, a, as an em- immigrant, you're, you're neither fish nor fowl because your home really isn't. You, you, when, when I travel to the UK now, people don't think I'm from there. They think that I'm, mm-hmm. you know, they, they recognize that I speak a little bit differently and that I, you know, something just clues them in that I'm not from there. So I'm a foreigner in my own country. Until recently, most people didn't think I was from here either. So, you know, they can, if they listen really carefully, they'll detect, you know, a, an accent that isn't truly Canadian, that there's a bit of a lilt or there's something there that just triggers, yeah, she's not from here. Where's she from? Is it South Africa? Is it Australia? Is it, yeah, where is it? Um, so neither is this home, although it, it feels, they both feel like home to me. So um, you just, you just learn to live with that. That's no big deal. Yeah, no, that's true. I, I don't know, for me, like, a, I don't know, probably the thing is personal, uh, but even when I go back to Italy, I, Maybe it comes like a natural calling home, but I don't feel like a home because it's not a place where I want to live. And that home is where you actually want to live in my perspective. So mm. I don't, yeah, I don't call uh, Italy home, even though it's my hometown, my home country, but it's doesn't, 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 at least as a feeling, doesn't feel like home. Even though I love every time I go back, uh, I love people, I love spending time with like friends and family I, I love everything about it but because i don't want to live there i have like a, this strong feeling that i don't want to live there that doesn't make me feel like a home mm-hmm. i don't know interesting yeah just different perspectives i guess it's a different use of the word home yeah no no, no absolutely I mean, yeah it was uh, the biggest challenges you have to face when uh, when you when you actually when you left the uk or like another when you just left the UK, like in general, what's the biggest challenge? From- M- missing family. Yeah, that was, that was the hardest, was you know, missing family. And back in those days, you know, we didn't have email and Skype and FaceTime. Like we didn't have any of those things. Oh, so yeah. I was dependent on letters and the very occasional, very expensive phone call. Like if I got a phone call, I mean, I couldn't afford to phone home 
I mean, we were, you know, we were, I, I mean, it was just cost prohibitive. So my parents would phone me rarely. So a call was a big deal. And so we were very dependent on sending letters to one another. And so I was, I was very homesick. But I, I loved, I mean, I loved the challenge. I loved the weather. Oh, my God, the weather's so bad in Scotland. So, I mean, to have sunshine <laughs> yeah. all the time. I loved I the weather. I loved the heat. Um, yeah, I, yeah, it, it really wasn't that hard. And we made friends very quickly. So that helps, too. Yeah, even that, like another thing, uh, I realized that using like a internet, like a FaceTime, Skype, whatever, to keep contact with your family, like a, it's such a great thing. Like I even last, I remember the first time I went back to Italy after like a, a year and a half or something like that. But I was seeing my family every weekend over FaceTime that when I, my brother came to pick me up at the airport, uh, we, I don't know, we just feel like we didn't see each other for like a couple of weeks. It was just a weird feeling. It was like I didn't feel like I didn't see him like for a long time. It just mm. feel like a, oh, you know exactly what's going on with my life. I, mm. I we spoke over the phone the other day. Like I don't know, there's like a this, and that definitely, yeah, definitely is a huge, huge help right now. Yeah, you're right. I can't even believe it. Like what means like a, no seeing your family. Like it's just yeah, yeah. I can't even imagine the challenge you have to face. And how often did you? Back then, did you went back to? So what once was, a year. Long, once a year, yeah. Every year. So once a year, you. Ah, yes, because you were like a paid by the. Yeah, the, the company, company paid. Yeah, the company paid for us to go back, once a year. They paid our ticket. Oh, that's cool. Uh, last question: Do you feel like uh, you have an advantage, or you feel like lucky to be an immigrant? I do. Um, I remember um, the day that I went to um, the ceremony to become Canadian and it really hit me how lucky I was um, because I was there with people who were refugees who had, you know, fled their country and Canada was a safe haven. I felt um, as if, you know, the UK really wasn't that bad if you compare it to Syria or some of the places that other people had come from. Um, so I had a fallback, um, but it really hit me um, how privileged I was to become a Canadian citizen. And I think that people who were born here take it for granted. They take this country for granted, but it's a pretty cool place. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful. And I know going through the application process that it, it wasn't easy and there was a lot of concern that we wouldn't be accepted, that, you know, you, you have to have a, um, a medical exam and, you know, what if you fail or, you know, what if, what if, you know, what if you sit your interview and you fail? Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful. Um, I don't regret coming here. Um, but I do regret not being close to my family, um, especially as, you know, my mom and dad aged and, and passed away. I have regrets about not um, having an opportunity to spend more time with them. Yeah, that's the, that's the toughest part by like a living your, your life, your family behind. Yeah, that's definitely, yeah, definitely. I think that's what everybody feels uh, when they have to leave their country. Even though, like, do you think, like, uh, because you left and you moved to a different country, you had to learn? And in your case, you didn't have to learn a language, um, but you have to learn, like, uh, how 
the the things work in different country? Do you have to integrate like a mini into the Middle East? So you have to integrate with like their society, like the way to to live, and then Tahiti. Do you feel like all like a your ability to adapt, and even like a, in most cases, maybe like a get a job, maybe you are not happy to to do just because you have to pay the bills. Do you think like a, that is a, is an advantage, for like having that fuel in you? Yeah, I think that you know, as a child, we moved a lot. Um, so for me, change was normal. Uh, we lived, you know, we lived in Dundee. We moved to Glasgow. We moved down to Wakefield. We went to Birmingham. We went back up to the south of Glasgow. Like there was a lot of moves and a lot of changes, school changes for me as I was growing up. And I think that gave me a resilience okay. Um, okay. that helped me and probably fueled me to leave the UK and seek you know, something better outside of the shores of the UK. Um, and I think that by the time I landed here, having moved from the Middle East to here to Tahiti and back again, it definitely helped me. Um, and it gave me a broader outlook. You know, my mom used to say that the next best thing to a good education is travel because we just learn so much when we're traveling. And so I just learned yeah. so much um, that I just took for granted, you know, the way, you know, I mean, when I arrived in the Middle East, I was only 19. I mean, I, was, I didn't know anything, really. Um, and I just took it all in my stride, you know, Ramadan, Eid, you know, the different customs, the, you know, the clothing, you know, and I think back at, about it, you know, now I just sort of just took it as, oh, yeah, that's what they do here. That's how they do it. <laughs> and, um, but, I, but I learned a lot. And I think it made me, um, you know, more broad minded. And I'm, I'm sure it helped me when I got here. Yeah, that, absolutely. Okay, thanks a lot for uh, chatting with me. That was that was a great, great honor. Mm-hmm. Great honor <laughs> Thank to be you. In the show. Thanks for interviewing me. No worries. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hi, Daniel here. Hope you enjoyed this first episode of Immigrants Live. I apologize for the sound quality. I didn't receive the microphone in time for this interview. But if you like to support the show, you can subscribe and leave us a review wherever you're listening. The show is now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Deezer, and Radio Public. You can find all the links and more about the show on the website immigrantslife.com, or you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you want to be on the show, send us an email at stories at immigrantslife.com. Thanks for listening.